Today's topic has been on my mind for a while just based on some of the studies we've been having both at Sabbath School and the very interesting discussions we've been having at Men's Fraternity. And um, Pastor Evan, Tony Evans is, is really talking about kingdom disciples. And I thought it was rather interesting for me that his topic really points to this concept of walk with God. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read certain statements, I, I ponder and say, what does that really mean to walk with God? Uh, because we see in several instances in the Bible where individuals were pointed out and the sole characteristic they had was they walk with God. Well, to begin off, uh, to begin this uh, sermon, I have a dilemma, okay? I need my glasses to see the screen, but I have to take them off in order to read my notes. So I'm just hoping I don't poke my eye out as I'm putting my glasses on and off, okay? Heard an interesting story, and I thank Charlie for the story about little Jimmy and Christmas Eve of going out and giving gifts. And I have a story about a young man also. This young man lived in the country, and this was some time back. And I don't, well, many of you aren't that old, but you know, I was brought out where each house had an outhouse. Who knows what an outhouse is? Have, have, you, have you used one? You know? Well, this young man's chores were to clean the outhouse each day. And I tell you, he was not happy that he had to clean the outhouse each day. Well, it so happened that this outhouse was positioned right by the river. And one day he got so frustrated with cleaning the outhouse that he went down there and he pushed the outhouse into the river. Appreciate it? Huh? How many of you think you'd like to clean the outhouse, you know? Shortly, his dad approached him and said, I'm going to use Jimmy again. Jimmy, did you push the outhouse into the river? Jimmy said, yes, Dad, I can't tell a lie. I pushed the outhouse into the river. And his father said, well, Jimmy, I'm going to have to punish you for doing that. And he said, but Dad, you know, even George Washington, when he cut down the cherry tree, he told the truth and his dad didn't punish him. Jimmy's dad said, yeah, but George Washington's father wasn't in the tree. The lessons of life, you may do all of the right things and some of the wrong things can happen. 
So today I'd like to talk about walk with God. Okay? Men's fraternity has been very interesting. And we've touched upon a number of topics in our latest discussions that talked about kingdom men. And the topic that recently we've been doing has to do with um, kingdom heroes. I'd like to talk about those kingdom heroes and ask that maybe you may be interested in being a kingdom hero also. But before I begin, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Lord, as I get ready to begin here, I'd like to take this moment for your guidance. You know that this has been a burden on my heart for some time, and I've been impressed that this message is important for us to understand. May you humble me, Lord, and use me as an instrument, and may it be your message and not mine. We ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bible heroes, kingdom heroes. There are a number of them in uh, the Bible, and they are definitely pointed out in Hebrews 11, in which we see sort of the hall of faith of God's uh, heroes we could call, and Tony Evans uses Hebrews 11 to point out many of the important aspects or several of the aspects that are attributed to various members that we find there listed in Hebrews 11. He runs through a number of topics, and the first one is faith. We see that right in Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it talks about how important faith is. But then we talked about the next one that talked about worship, how important worship is. And, and I didn't know what they were going to talk about enlisting worship and how that really would identify a kingdom hero, except the hero that he pointed out was Cain and Abel. No, not Cain, but Abel, and how Abel set forth an acceptable worship, and how important it is for us as God's believers to worship, not in what we would consider appropriate worship, but what he has decided for worship. This is important as we go through our walk with God, that it's his walking and not ours. And then we had obedience. And I thought obedience was rather interesting because, as many of you know, I'm a man of the sea. And can you guess who they were talking about with obedience? Well, a long time ago, there was a flood. And Noah listened to God, and God 
told him to build an ark. Now, I don't know how crazy you might think it is, and I know Mel's got a boat in his backyard. But do you think Mel worries about the water coming up to his backyard? No, not at all. But I tell you, he's ready. I bet he can climb in his boat anytime. But can you imagine the situation for Noah there building a boat for 120 years? That's a long time, okay? And then the third item, and we'll talk more about him, and the fourth concept that we talked about had to do with wisdom and how all four of these aspects can be pointed in the direction of an individual who is identified in Hebrews 11 as a kingdom hero. I'd like to go back and take a look that not only do we end up in these topics highlighted as Cain and Abel or Noah or in the case of wisdom, Moses, in recent Sabbath school lessons, we've been seeing other Bible heroes such as Job. It's hard to think of Job as a Bible hero yet, even through all that he went through, he remained faithful. So why wouldn't we consider him also a Bible hero or a kingdom hero? We also see Daniel as he purposed in his heart to do the purpose of God. Or we can see maybe Paul and how he decided that he was going to follow the Lord when he had an, uh, an occurrence with the Lord, we could say. Or maybe even Peter, who, although a very important disciple, he had a long way to go, as much time as he spent with Jesus to the final time when he finally accepted it. But you know, I want to be drawn back to the idea of Noah, okay? And we get a description of Noah here found in Genesis, in the sixth chapter, verse five. And it said, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And as soon as I read these verses and in the discussions we've been having on Thursday night, is it any different today? In the society that we live in, that we see the evil intent of the hearts of men. They care mostly about themselves. Unfortunately, we don't have enough fathers of the children's story. The interesting part in verse 9 is that we see this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, but then here's the clincher. It says, Noah walked with God. 
Wow, there it is, a distinguishing mark. Not only that he was perfect in his generation, he was a noble man, but the characteristic that he walked with God is extremely important. And to make that point, we see that for 120 years, Noah walked with God, preaching God and the destruction of the world. Obedience all the way to the end. I don't know about you about preaching the message, but can you imagine doing it for 120 years and nobody would listen? Does it make you wonder about the message that you're presenting? So having read this and seeing that this Noah walked with God, I decided that I really need to get a better understanding of what does it mean with walking with God. So I did a a Bible search, you know, my handy dandy little uh, computer here on my hip, and I looked up, walked with God. And there I found that phrase, once again, in Genesis 5, 22. Let's see what it says. Is that 5.22? Did it move? No. There it is. Okay. And it says, After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. I said, wow. Can you imagine walking with God for how long? 300 years. I thought 120 years with Noah was a big deal. But Enoch walked with God for 300 years, and we know the results. Enoch is one of the few that have been translated to heaven and not seen death. So is it important to understand what it means that Enoch walked with God. It told Theo that really you, you, you ought to be aware of this and, and what it means. So the question is, are you curious about what it means to walk with God? I am. So I thought I'd do some Bible searches and especially what it means to walk with God. Now, I don't know about you, but you've walked with your friends, right? Okay, we've gone for walks as a church, and we all walk together. And I was interested in a little more definition of walking with, and I came to Amos 3, verse 3. And it said, can two walk together unless they are agreed. Hmm, rather interesting, because if we decide to go for a walk and I want to go on the bike path and Angelique wants to go on the canal, are we going to be able to walk together? No. And if she decides to go in one direction and I decide to go in the other direction, are we walking? Yes. But are we walking together? 
No, we're not. Ponder this thought for a moment. Do we agree to walk with God, or does God agree to walk with us? We saw clearly in Noah and Enoch that they both walked with God. Therefore, the walking was with God and not God with them. Big difference. So who made the decision about what direction they would go? Noah, Enoch, or God? Obviously, we see it's God. Now, it may be just a matter of semantics, but there is a substantial difference in my mind about walking with God clearly places him in the lead and others walking with him. Now, some may argue that we can't even agree to walk with him unless his Holy Spirit is leading us in that decision. And I'm not here to argue about whether the Holy Spirit has to be in us in order to walk with God. That's not the question. But when he is, we are walking with God, we are following him and not him following us. And we all see that we have a very awesome God that we follow. And when we walk with him, he has the right direction to go. Now, we know that if God wanted to, he could make us walk with him, right? Yeah. Do we have an all-powerful God? Yeah, we do, right? And we even see a Bible verse that Jesus says, but Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men... This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So, why can't God make me walk with him? Well, there's two things God doesn't do. Did you know there were two things that God doesn't do? Number one, God always tells the truth, so he will not tell a lie. Could he tell a lie? Well... He could, because he can do all things, but would he? No. The other thing God doesn't do is he doesn't make us do something we don't want to do. So the whole concept of God and I walking together really means we walk with God. And he will not force us to walk with him. Well, how do we know how this walking happens? And I want to thank Felix for um, reading this text because it's important that if we're going to walk with God, we have to understand some criteria. And that criteria is found in Malachi 6.8. And it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does God require of you but to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humble with your God. There is that phrase again that God requires of us to walk with him, but even more importantly, 
humbly with him. And I say, ooh, this is important for me to remember and consider that we walk with God. You know, in the recent lesson that we had in men's fraternity, and I have to apologize to Mel and some others that came to men's fraternity, but the last lesson that we just saw had to do with wisdom. And I wondered about that criteria as a kingdom hero. Well, the Bible character that was our focus just happened to be Moses. Now, we all know the story of Moses, how he was a babe, uh, born in a period of time where the Pharaoh had decided that he was going to wipe out all the Jewish baby boys. Okay? But his mother found that he was a beautiful baby. Now, when I read that in the Bible, I sort of have a question. How many of you mothers ever looked at your babies and said it's not beautiful? <laughs> no? Am I wrong? You all think that your baby has to be the absolute best-looking baby. So Moses' wife saw that Moses was beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I find that rather a profound statement, because uh, all mothers do. That's, how, that's what happens. And uh, they uh, didn't want to put him to death, and she had him for three months, and then she got worried that after three months they'd be found out. So they put baby Moses in a little boat, once again, a boat like Noah, I find that kind of interesting, and made a special boat, and the boat was placed among the reeds in the river. And I found it interesting that the, the uh, daughter of the Pharaoh would come along and find this baby and suddenly decide that he was a beautiful baby and she wanted to take care of him. And of course, Moses' sister, and we know who Moses' sister was, it was Miriam, right? Was there watching over the baby out there in the reeds and she said, let me get someone who can nurse the baby. And I bet she knew somebody that could nurse the baby, right? No, uh, Moses' mother. But it's interesting that Moses grew up for 40 years in the house of the Pharaoh to be the next Pharaoh. I find that rather interesting that he would be in succession for the Pharaoh and yet he wasn't even a natural born offspring. But yet she adopted him into the palace. Pharaoh's life, and he was trained up to be the next Pharaoh. But Moses had a choice to make. And I have to say, in today's society, it would have been considered a pretty substantial choice. The choice was, would he remain in the house of Pharaoh, or would he choose to be considered a Hebrew. He wanted to be with his people. And it's an important choice because at that time, his people were slaves. So it was an important choice. And you know, important choices aren't always easy to make. And we certainly could see it with Moses. So much so that 
he tried to protect his people and he was found out and he worried about the fact that he had murdered an individual. So he went into hiding for 40 years as a shepherd. Now I find it rather interesting that it took Moses 40 years in preparation there in the wilderness as a shepherd. But as we look at the different characteristics that we see of people, it took Moses 40 years to be prepared for God to be able to use him. And when God called him, he was just walking by the way. And do we remember how God called him? In the burning bush. Now, I don't know about you, but when I walk about in the woods, I don't usually see burning bushes. Exodus 3, 2 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is Moses, in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. What an amazing call it was for Moses to be called by the angel of God. It took a long time before he could be prepared for God to use him. On the other hand, we look at another individual that was used by God, and his name was Saul slash Paul. We know the story of Saul that was converted to Paul on the road to Damascus. A light came down from heaven and knocked him off his horse. And I find it interesting that, that both Moses was attracted to a light that was the burning bush, but Paul needed to be, or Saul needed to be knocked off his horse by a light. And that light came from heaven. How? Does God end up touching people that suddenly they walk with God? Is it not suddenly, like in Moses, and it took 40 years of preparation? Or is it like Saul, who took just a moment on that road? But each of us, or each of them, were used of God in a special way. It didn't take necessarily extravagant events such as a bright light from heaven, or a burning bush, but there are other Bible characters that God spoke to in a special way. I think of Noah. We don't see of any shining bright lightnings that said, Noah, build an ark. He already walked with God. So how does this calling happen? And that was what was driving me to really try to understand this concept of walking with God. Because it seemed very important that in order to walk with God, you had to know him. 
And then I was, as I was searching through one of the Bible characters that really struck my attention that wasn't an extravagant event had to do with Samuel. And as we go into 1 Samuel in the third chapter, we know that Samuel's mother was barren. She couldn't have a child and she went and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed to the high priest and then she promised God that if she had a male child, she would dedicate him to the Lord. And that very year, Samuel was born. She weaned him. Now, it doesn't say how long she weaned him. But as soon as he was weaned, she took him to the high priest Eli as a gift for him to work with Eli. Now, it's kind of, to me, it was amazing because Eli, was he a good father? Well, you know, Eli was a prophet of God. So to question whether he was a good father or not, you might say, Theo, you got some screws loose up there. You know, he was a prophet of God. But I couch that term, was he a good father? Because we know what happened to the two sons that he bore. They knew they were the sons of the high priest and they did wickedly in the sight of God. And they were eventually wiped out. So it's hard to say that just because you come from a good background that you'll be successful and you'll be able to walk with God. Because his sons were not, but we know Eli did. Which gives us the reminder that walking with God is a personal event. It doesn't matter what family you have. It doesn't matter if your parents was the pastor. Matter of fact, there have been many pastor childs or children that I've seen that if anything, they're a lot more like Eli's children than most parents' children. There was a problem. So how did God come into an existence or a relationship with Samuel? Was it a grand event of sparks and flames and the likes? No. God provided Samuel with his first vision as we look in 1 Samuel 3, 9. Samuel had heard his name three times, and each time he got up because the eyesight of Eli was beginning to fade. And then it was in the evening, and Samuel was lying down, and when Eli needed something, Samuel was there ready to respond. And three times he heard his name called and Eli provided this very important message. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, 
Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. I have to think that Samuel, being dedicated to the Lord, walked with God. And God called him in a special way. And it wasn't with a thunderous voice, but it was with a small, still voice that required special listening on the part of Samuel. And my question is to you today, is God calling for you to walk with him? Or are you looking for an extravagant event such as with Moses in the burning bush or Saul slash Paul walking on the road to Damascus? Is he talking to you with a small, still voice that we might hear it, but we not, may not understand what it is? But he calls for us to listen and be ready to respond. In finishing up our study with walking with God, Jesus gives a very important parable. It's found in John 15, 1 and 2. Let's see if I can pull it up here. Is that John? Did it go forward? Yep, okay. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. John 15, 1 and 2. However, he goes on in verse 4, it says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Here I believe is the secret sauce of walking with God. The parable of the vine and the branch is all about walking with God. God and the believer are one walking together. And the branch doesn't tell the vine where to go. It is important that it is connected to the vine. Another important aspect of this connection between the branch and the vine is it produces fruit. We all want the Holy Spirit in our life to, pre to prepare fruit, to produce fruit. And it says he prunes those vines or those branches so that it produces more fruit. Well, there's something interesting about fruit. Did you ever see fruit that remained on the vine that was not shared? 
what happens to it? It shrivels up, it dries up, and it dies. It's important that we see that as we are a part of the branch and the vine, that that fruit that is produced has a very important purpose. That purpose is to do for others. Because that's what fruit does. When it is used, it indeed is true fruit. True fruit. Walking with God produces the same kind of fruit. As we walk with him, we abide with him. And as he directs our path, we become the bearers of those fruit. And the closer we walk with him, the more fruit we produce. The question is, Am I ready to put aside myself and be willing to share the fruit that I have with others? The question is, are you ready to produce fruit that will bless others? Amazing things will happen when you're ready to walk with God and he produces that fruit in our lives. Not for us, but so that we can bless others. How do we do it? Well, we walk with him and we walk closely. And as we walk closely, I'd like to point us to the very important last song that we're gonna sing. And that is, seek ye first, the kingdom of God. Because as we seek Him, as we walk with Him, and not Him walking with us, we need to seek ye first the kingdom of God.